Well, good morning. Take your Bibles to the book of 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter number 8. It's so good to be here. I love missions conferences, and they're so relaxing. You know what I like about a missions conference is it's no pressure. It's no stress. All you have to do is pray and say, God, would you tell me what to do? And then you obey the Holy Spirit. That's no pressure. Now, if you fight the Holy Spirit, that is stress. If you disobey God, that is pressure. But, you know, I know no one in this room would want to do that. I, uh, I know we're all on the same page. We just want to serve God. It always makes it awkward when you, you're preaching away and you're, you're just slapping up the devil. Do you know what I'm talking about? You're giving the devil a lash and you look out there and it looks like you slapped somebody. <laughs> and you wonder, what side are they on? Because I'm not preaching at you. I'm preaching against Satan. You, 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 you with me, church? Amen. I know we're on the same page. So that's what's so nice about a missions conference. You just relax, soak up the word, and obey the Holy Spirit. That's what revival is. Four words. Obey the Holy Spirit. That's it. And it's not complicated. The Christian life is pretty simple if you disobey God. If you disobey God, that's another message. A scenario was taking place here in 2 Corinthians. Paul is not a happy camper. He has, he has got promised by the church of Corinth. And then he got set up by the church of Corinth. And in this scenario here, there is three people involved. The first one being the Apostle Paul as the writer. The second one, the person receiving the letter, which is the church of Corinth. The third one, the churches in Macedonia, which is in, um, which is in Philippi and Thessalonica. And he's writing to the church of Corinth, telling them about another church. Because he had come to the church of Corinth and said, look, we're trying to raise these funds. And... Um, the church of Corinth said, we're behind you. We've got your back. And Paul got excited. He was thrilled. He got so excited, he went down the road. And he gets into Macedonia, and he tells the church of Philippi, and he tells the church of Thessalonians, or Thessaloniki is how they pronounce it in Greece now. And uh, he told him, guess what? He said, I, I preached and told them to need there in Corinth. And they said, they're going to help us. They committed to helping. He said, we are so excited. So much more can be done now. And the church in Philippi said, well, if they can do it, we can do it. Let me try and illustrate this morning, if you would. We're going to have a couple of people come up here. Anybody who struggles staying awake. All right, here we go. We got one right here in the front row. This is going to be Paul. What's his name? Okay, let's try it, church. Work with me. Who is this? Paul. It's all we have to work with, okay? And then we have over here, we have the church of Thessalonica, all right? Also known as Philippi. The two churches in Macedonia, we'll just call them Philippi, okay? And this is who he's talking about here. And uh, so you're going to come over here. This was, this was the poor church. This church was, I mean, they were so poor, they had to look up to see the poverty level. They were over here in the ghetto. And then there he is. Come, come on, Marco. Then we have um, the church of Corinth right here. And they were cool like a fool skipping school. I mean, they're the ones driving the Audis and the Mercedes. 
and had the, um, they had the nice cars. They're the professionals, the wealthy people, the business people. Paul came and preached over here at Corinth, and he says, I'm going on another missionary journey, and, and, and the, the saints in Jerusalem need some help. He preached to them, and they said, we've got your back. We got you covered. Are, are you with me? Paul was thrilled. He's like, man, these people with the Mercedes, they got me. Isn't it a sad state of affairs when we as Christians trust in people with money instead of trusting God? You'll find the best givers in the world are not the rich people. So he goes down the road and he's preaching over here. Look at his clothes, threadbare. <laughs> and he says, let me just tell you what the church of Corinth said they're going to do with us. They, they're going to help us. And, uh, and, and the church of Philippi said, they can do it. We can do it. He sat here and he was boasting about what they were going to do. Now he gets out there on his journey as a missionary. And he reaches in his back pocket. The other back pocket. He pulls out his ATM card and he puts it in the machine. And it's so empty it echoes. And by the way, he got help from the, the poor people at the Church of Philippi. Church of Corinth came up with a big zilcho. A big nada. So what do you do? He pulls on his pen and he sharpens it. And he starts writing chapter 8. <laughs> Are you there, church? Look, look what he says. Verse number 1. He says, Moreover, brethren, he's writing to this guy right here. Moreover, brethren, we do you wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. He says, let me tell you what God's done for this church over here. He said, let me tell you about this church, verse 2. How that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty... It abounded under the riches of their liberality. He said, not only were they in poverty, but they were in deep poverty. He says, let me tell you how they gave, though. Now, remember who he's talking to? He's talking to the church of Corinth, talking about the church of Philippi. He says, let me tell you how they gave. Verse 3. For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power, they were, what's the next word? Willing of themselves. Praying us with much entreaty that we should receive the gift. What is the gift? It's not Christmas time. It's not wrapped. What is the gift? Talk to me, church. What is the gift? Money. Dinero. Are you allowed to say the word money in church? People get nervous. They, anyway, we'll talk more about the nervous people. I love to watch people get nervous. <laughs> they should receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. Notice verse number five. And this they did. Not as we hope, but first gave their own selves... To the Lord and unto us by the will of God. Notice verse 7. Therefore, as ye abound in this grace. He's talking to the church of Corinth. He says, as you're growing in this grace in everything. Notice, in faith, in utterance, in knowledge, in all diligence, and in your love to us, see that ye abound in this grace also. That grace of giving is what we label faith promise. But it's really grace giving. Look what he says in verse number 9. And, and he, he, just, just like... There is people in 2021 at Central Baptist Church. There was people right here at the Corinth Baptist Church who said, we want to be involved. Just enough 
So people think we're involved, but not enough. So we have to sacrifice. You know what I've discovered in life? I've discovered if you're looking for a loophole, you will find one. But if you're willing of yourself, you'll find more reasons to serve God instead of less reasons to serve God. If you're looking for an exemption clause, you will find one. If you're looking for a reason why you don't need to, you'll find one. And before you finish reading, let me just tell you, I'm going to help you find one. So if you're looking for a loophole, right, right, sharpen your pen. Here we go. Here's your loophole. Verse number eight. Here's what he says. Talking to the church of Corinth. I speak not by commandment. He said this giving is not a command. There you go. We can pray, be dismissed, and go home now. Don't we feel better already? Because I don't have to. Breathe in. Breathe out. See, it's no pressure. Isn't that, isn't, that, isn't that incredible? It's no pressure. It's not a commandment. You were looking for your loophole? You can close your Bible and go home. Or we can keep reading. He says, I speak not by commandment. Notice, by the occasion of the forwardness of others. And here's the statement. And to prove, to testing, the sincerity of your love. You know, he tells the church, hey, Corinth, pardon me, but your love is showing. For a few minutes tonight, today, I want to preach on that topic. Pardon me, <clears throat> but your love is showing. Thank you, gentlemen. You may be seated. Would you bow your head as we pray? Dear God, we come to you in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The name which is above every name. We know at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. And every tongue shall confess that you're the one true God. Now, dear God, I pray that you take the truth from the word of God. Break the bread of life in our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. You know what? The good news he simply said to the church at Corinth that had promised and didn't pay. He said, listen, this is not a command. He tells them in the, in the, the last part of that chapter, he says, but we've been boasting about you. We've been boasting about you. We've been bragging about you. And you didn't do it. He says, now, listen, this is not a command. This is a test of our love. Christian, do you love God? Love is the ultimate test of why we serve God on every level. I have seen thousands of Christians come into church. The average time someone spends in church is five years. And they float on out, maybe to a, a, a less biblical church, or maybe they just get out of church altogether. Why is that? Because, one word, love. You can only serve God on a duty for so long. Why do nine out of ten missionaries make it less than four years in a foreign country? Duty will take you there, but love will keep you there. Why do pastors in Southern Baptist uh, uh, a denomination average 18 months in a church before they move on? I know you're waiting with anticipation. <laughs> Apparently, you've never pastored. <laughs> the pastor's the first one to forgive and the last one to be forgiven. 80% of pastors don't even like people. You say, why? 
Have you ever smelled sheep? <laughs> Maybe I should ask the question, have you ever had teenagers? You say, what are you talking about, preacher? Kids, kids are a blessing. They're wonderful. They're, 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 they're just, I mean, every stage of having children is, is just out of this world. When they're infants, when they're two-year-olds, when they're five-year-olds, when they're 10-year-olds, when they're 12-year-olds, and then they turn 13. And you know what they say. When they turn 13, you put them in a barrel and drill a hole so they can breathe. <laughs> then when they turn 16, you plug the hole. <laughs> what is it the teenagers do that people knock them so hard? They say hire a teenager while they still know it all. Here's the number one thing teenagers quit doing is reciprocating love. Kids will do it. You'll ask a 10-year-old, hey, can I have a lick of your lollipop? They're feeding you the stick, too. <laughs> you ask the teenager for something, the worst givers in the world are teenagers. Why is that? I mean, not the teenagers here. Of course not. But overall, there is an attitude of selfishness. How many people come to church just for selfish reasons to help themselves, to solve a family problem, to make themselves feel better, but they don't reciprocate love to the people that are helping them? Yeah. It had nothing to do with the message, but it's true. Yeah. I'm just telling you, you'll never go wrong by giving out love. It's our number one point today. Love is our priority. Run in your Bibles to the book of, you can hold your finger in, in Corinthians or hold, hold it with something there, to Matthew chapter 22. Love is our priority. Jesus is dealing with some Sadducees and he puts them to shame. And then the Pharisees step up and they say, it's our turn. And their mouthpiece happens to be a lawyer. Someone said if you, in America there's 600,000 lawyers. And if you put them end to end, that would be the best position for them to be in. Verse 35, and one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him and saying, see, see the motivation? Tempting him. What's the great commandment in the law? Obviously, depending on how you count, there was around 830 commandments. Jesus said unto him, here's the great commandment, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. Okay? The number one commandment is God must be your first love. Period. And he says, guess what? If you get that down, you can move on to commandment number two. He says in verse number 39, and the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And then he says on these two commandments hang how much? All the law and all the prophets. I was with the family years ago. We went to a theme park in Missouri. Went in this building. They had a skating rink. A man was skating around doing tricks. And um, he was juggling as he skated. And then he reached over and he grabbed three Rubik's Cubes. Remember the days in the, the 80s when Rubik's Cubes were actually a thing? And, uh, and he took those cubes and he threw them into the crowd. He said, mix them up. They mixed those cubes up and threw them back to him. Oh, I'm sorry. They mixed them up, threw them back to him. He said, set your watches for five minutes. And he started juggling. And as he juggled those Rubik's Cubes, he skated around and he would twist the Rubik's Cubes as he was juggling. 
And in four and a half minutes, he had all three Rubik's Cubes fixed. Then he made this statement. He said, all you have to know to do that is number one, how to fix a Rubik's Cube, and number two, how to juggle. <laughs> Can I tell you the good news? For you to be a successful, happy Christian, there's two things you gotta get down really good. How to love God and how to love others. And here's what Jesus said. You get those two down, the other 830 commandments hang off of those. But if you don't get loving God down, you don't get loving others down, you're going to be flawed everywhere you are. You say, why? Because it's a love problem. You ever see a Christian just trip off? You go, what was his problem? It's always a love problem. Is, is this someone's water? Can I drink it? I, I always like good water. Tastes homemade. <laughs> you know, um, the older I get, things change in your life. I, last two weeks ago, I turned 48. And I look in the mirror, and it's not the same person that you used to be. I mean, it, it's, it's just like your whole body's coming apart. You wake up one day and you go, Where, how did my stomach get that shape? You know, it's like your, your belly fell out, your knee fell out, your ankle fell out. It's like your whole body coming apart. I mean, you look in the mirror and he's, my wife told me she liked my chin, so I got two of them. <laughs> you wake up in the morning and go, you, just, you have new pains. You're like, oh, there's that knee. I didn't need that. My hips, my hips hurt. And I don't, growing old is not for wimps. But one of the problems that I've developed in my life is, um, is I shake. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? How many of you guys shake sometimes? How, do you guys know what I'm talking about when you shake? And when I shake, it's, oh, goodness gracious, I did it again. I feel, I feel terrible. I got him wet too? Oh. You were sitting right here. Miss, can you explain why did that water come out of there? I shook it. How, how about, why did that water come out of there? I shook it. Miss, can you help them out? Why did that water come out of there? Why, what, am I talking to those people? <laughs> Are they in your institute class? That explains what's going on. Why'd that water come out of there? Uh, you just listen to the crowd, aren't you? <laughs> yes, why'd that water come out of there? I need some people to help me. Marco, why'd that water come out of there? What? Did you hear what he said? Why'd it come out? Because it was in there. You, you wonder why someone trips off sometimes? Because the Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Whoever you are is always going to come out. And can I tell you what Paul's writing to the church of Corinth? He's saying, who you are has come out. Pardon me, but your love is showing. Why did Jesus say it this way when he's preaching in Matthew chapter 6? He said, he said, there's two places that you can give. You can invest in eternal things and save all your money. Or you can invest in temporal things and lose all your money. But he says, here's what's going to make the difference. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. See, whatever is on the inside is going to come out. You're going to take out tonight that pen, and you're going to, you're going to, we call it the compassion connection. When you put that pen to that piece of paper and you say, this is what I prayed about. This is what God wants me to do. Can I tell you what's going to happen? What's on the inside is going to come out.
Take your Bibles quickly to the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians. Chapter 13. This church is bragging about their knowledge. It's bragging in chapter 12 about their gifts. They're all got their Christian swag on. And he says in chapter 13, after dealing with their egocentric, self-absorbed, narcissistic behavior, there's nothing worse than religious pride. Isn't a sad day when we attach our preaching and we attach our singing and we attach our serving to pride and we make ourselves think that we're better than someone else? We become Pharisees of the highest level. And Paul writes to the church of Corinth. He says, I believe in preaching. The Bible says God has chosen the foolishness of preaching. He says, though, verse number 1 of chapter 13, Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels and have not charity, I'm become a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. Though I have the gift of prophecy and I understand all mysteries and all knowledge and I understand UFOs and I found them the giants in the Bible, and I believe the earth is flat or rectangular or square or third dimensional. You know, America has become a really strange place. People during shutdown have done their devotions off of YouTube, and they've heard some crazy people. Previous to a couple years ago, we never had to preach on flat earth. And now you have people... They want to fight about everything, and they swagger into church. Let me just tell you what I learned. <laughs> Not sure I can help you. That had nothing to do with missions. That was for our pride. He says, I have the gift of prophecy, understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and have, uh, have all faith so that I can remove mountains. Notice, and I have not charity, I am... What's the next word? Nothing. Though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, that I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me how much? Talk to me, church, how much? Nothing. He says, let me explain what charity is. It's patient, it suffereth long, it's kind, it vaunteth not itself, it, it, it's not puffed up. Charity involves humility. It doth not behave itself unseemly. It's not about elevating itself. It seeketh not its own. It's not easily provoked. It thinketh no evil. It doesn't have guile. Notice, it rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. It's very sincere. It beareth all things. It believeth all things. Hopeth all things. Endureth all things. Can I tell you, when you're in love, you're an optimist. When you're in love with God, you think faith is easy because God is big. When you're not in love, you see this world system as big and God as small. Love makes people do crazy things. I'm not talking about puppy love. Puppy love's a prelude to a dog's life. When I was in Bible college, I remember I did security and people would come in late at night from working. The guys would, and uh, they would... Um, they would, they would be exhausted, tired. Many of them worked in factories and rebuilding transmissions. They'd be covered in oil and dirty and greasy. And they would just slowly come into, come into that dorm 
And uh, back in those days, there wasn't this device called a cell phone. Does anyone remember that dispensation? <laughs> and there was these little mailboxes. Everybody had a mailbox. And they would come in and they'd check their mailbox. And they would, their girlfriend would leave them a note. Back in those days, they would write them, I mean, notes every day. And then they'd take perfume, Christian perfume, and they would spray on the notes. And those guys in their exhaustion and tiredness, they would grab that note. They would marinate themselves in it. They found therapy. Hey, when was the last time you took the word of God? I'll tell you, when you're in love with God, you'll have no excuses to go soul winning. When you're in love with God, you'll have no excuses why you can't. You'll be finding all the reasons you can't. It's not about how little you can give. It's how much you can give. How much you can be involved. It's not about all the reasons why I shouldn't. It's all the reasons why I should. What's the difference maker? Love. It must be our priority. Here's, here's what he says. Verse number eight. I love this. Three words. Charity never faileth. But I fail. But charity doesn't fail. I remember one day, I came to church on a Sunday morning. And I walked in, and we had to go upstairs to where church was. And I'm coming up the stairs, and there's supposed to be ushers holding the doors. And there was no ushers. And I'm thinking, what is wrong with the ushers? And if you're an usher, ush from the heart. And, and eat mints, too. Because I've known ushers who could... <laughs> Drop a charging water buffalo at 100 meters. <laughs> I'm like, what's wrong with these ushers? And, and I remember coming into the auditorium, and they're supposed to be practicing music, and the piano player's not there. Everybody's waiting on the piano player. I'm like, what's wrong with the piano player? I looked around for the secretary. I needed some paperwork, and I, and I, 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 I couldn't find her. What is wrong with the secretary? Man, I'm looking around the church building. We got visitors here and visitors here, and, and no one's sitting with the visitors. No one's talking to the visitors. I, I, and I'm thinking, this church is full of cliques. I'm going to talk to the pastor. <laughs> what is wrong with these people? They started the service, and I, and I got up there, and I was steaming. I mean, I mean it, was, it was coming off my forehead. I'm like these ushers, these secretaries, these... What's wrong with him? The Holy Spirit. <laughs> knocked on my mind. And said, they're good. It's you. And I remember getting down there on my knees at the altar while they're singing. And I remember getting right with God and saying, God, I forgot to love them. I'm going to get up to preach. And I believe you shouldn't preach any harder than you love people. Remember, parents, rules without love lead to rebellion. And I got right with God. I'm just saying, when I got up, the singing was sweet. People looked attractive again. <laughs> they looked happy. The visitors looked happy. And I said, let's sing my favorite song. It's me. It's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. 
Because if I'm going to change my church, it starts by changing me. It must be my priority. It's painful to go soul winning. You want to finish early if you're not in love with God. Duty gets you so far. You do faith, promise, commitment, you're going to hit January and February, and you're going to start having stutter when you write your check. I can do something else with that. Let me tell you something. It's our love that shows. Number one, it's our priority. When you're in love with God, it's going to keep you in service for God. When you're in love with God, it's going to keep you faithful to God. Number two, love is our proof. It's the evidence. It's the evidence. We just read that in 2 Corinthians. And, and he says, this is not a command. This is a chance to prove. That's a, that's a test to prove that your love is, is that pointed to God. Look at, look at in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. He's talking about two things. He's talking about the flesh, and he's talking about the spirit here. Verse number 17 of chapter 5, and verse 18, and 19, and 20, and 21, he's talking about here is the proof that you're operating in, this, in the flesh. You want to know if you're in the flesh? He said this is how you behave. This is how you respond. This is what the word is manifest. It's what comes out in your life. It always talks, talks, uh, starts with sexual impurity, and he continues on. He says, here's the proof they're operating in the spirit. Verse number 22. But the fruit, remember, it's not fruits. It's fruit. But the fruit of the spirit, what's the very first characteristic? Is love. If you want to have a good marriage, you walk in the spirit of God. You want to have a love for your parents? Walk in the spirit of God. You want to have a love for a wayward child? Walk in the spirit of God. You would have a love for your church? Walk in the Spirit of God. Why is it that so many people, they used to serve God, they're not serving again? I'll tell you why. It's a love problem. The proof of their love is not there. So here's how it happens. We get saved. When you get saved, you're like a baby. I mean, you start just eating as much as you can. You want the Word of God. You want to serve God. You, you, you want to pray. When, when I got saved, I'd wake up at 5 in the morning. I'd read my Bible for an hour. I'd pray for an hour. Had to be at school at 7.30. And I, I'd ride my bicycle to school. Man, I will tell you what, I just grew. I was hungry. I joined all the choirs in the church. I joined every ministry involved in evangelism. Because first thing you do when you get saved is you fall in love. Because number two, your love produces service. You guys just got married? Did you say I love you? I mean, how many times did you say? Was it like every day? Do you like to hear I love you? Does he ever say it too much? No? What, what if he didn't say it and you just went to him and said, Honey, honey, do you still love me? And he said, Well, I already told you I did. If I change my mind, I'll let you know. No, that's not how it works. You like to hear it every day, don't you? Every hour? Can you get too much of it? Can I ask you a question? She said, don't, she said sometimes. Well, we've we got to factor in who it is. But you, you know the truth? God loves your love. God loves it when you love him. 
You fall in love, love produces service. If when you were dating or courting or, or dorting, whatever you did, <laughs> let me ask you a question. Did you try and prove your love to her? What'd you do? <laughs> you gotta come better than that. Did you ever buy her stuff? Chocolate? 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 <laughs> no, okay, so you buy. Uh, imagine he comes home and you've been cooking away, because I know this happens for, I mean, you're sweating, you're cooking profusely, hot kitchen, and uh, he comes in and he's got one of these white boxes, you know, long white boxes, and you know inside that box is roses. Not just roses, long stem roses. And he walks in the kitchen where you've been working, working, working. He, he walks in and says, listen, I'm sick and tired of you whining. Roses, 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 roses. Here's your roses. And he throws them on the counter. I don't ever want to hear roses again. Now, can I ask you a personal question? Would you want those roses? No. You're going to open up that box, and one rose at a time, you're going to wrap it around his neck. <laughs> Until he gets the point in Jesus' name. <laughs> Because it's not about the rose. It's about the fact he's proving what? He's pro he needs to do it willingly. The Old Testament is called a free will offering. You'll see in the New Testament, he says, God loveth a cheerful giver. You see what the difference is? You did it because you... You wanted to, not because you had to. When Jesus was preaching and, and he said, um, um, when the Romans tell you to carry their stuff a mile, do what? Why? Because the second mile is the smile mile. It's where you do it because you choose to. When you're serving God because you love to, it's the smile mile. I don't have to. We get saved. We fall in love with God. Uh, and love produces service. Why? Because number three, service proves our love. If he just said, I love you, I'm going to prove it by marrying you, you're going to say, I want to see the stone. And I want to see the size of the stone. And I need some proof. And what is he trying to do? He'll try and prove his love. I mean, he'll be giving you gifts. He'll be spending time. He'll be investing notes. When's the last time you sent a note? I'm not talking about those notes. Sugar, don't forget to take the laundry out. <laughs> and it's dry. And empty the dishwasher when it's finished. And oh, by the way, carpet needs to be not, not that note. I feel like I'm doing a marriage seminar right here on the front row. I'm not going to sit here again. They're on their honeymoon still, so that I can harass them. Here's, here's the reality. When we're in love with God, you'll want to serve God. But here's our problem. Our service proves our love, but sometimes we serve and we serve and we serve and we forget why we're serving. And what used to be easy in serving now has become drudgery. What used to be easy now has become candidacy for bitterness. You watch people that get bitter. They forgot to remind themselves the reason they're doing what they're doing. Oh, they'll always find a reason. 
They'll, they'll point a fly on that person in the ministry, that person in the ministry. Well, I would go this, but that person is there. You know, God will put that person in your life just to see what kind of Christian you are. God has people in this building that you don't like. They're here for you. Because if all you can do is love the lovely, you are unlovely. That's not Christianity. Christianity is loving the unlovable. Hang on. Amen, Amen preacher. Preach. Love must be our priority. Love must be our proof. It's the proof the Spirit of God is working in our life. Good friend of mine, they were, they were in Haiti for 30 years. They started over 35 churches in Haiti. And they were dedicated. It was hard. They'd been in shootouts multiple times. One day there was 10 guys came, knocked down their front door with machine guns, raped his wife, beat up his children, tied and bounded him and beat him up. Well, you know what that is? It's called a test. The first four words to the testimony is test. When you pass the test, you have a testimony. Because re remember, there's, there's two levels. There's capable and there's credible. Somebody who is capable is, is all of us. And everybody can talk about how they want to do something. But you're not credible until you've done it. And you don't have the testimony until you've passed the test. And people, when bad things happen to them, they begin to write out the reasons why I should run. Reasons why I can't recover. Reasons why I can't serve. The reason why I can't be happy. The reasons why it's my permission slip to be miserable. Ladies and gentlemen, your affliction is your opportunity to honor God and glorify God in your problem. Your adversity is your opportunity to magnify God in your life. It's a test to prove your love, how you treat the unlovable. You say, well, Pastor, you don't know this guy. I'm down to one nerve and he stands on it. Permanently. <laughs> Set a goal. Make your enemy your friend. Those missionaries came back for a month. They prayed and they fasted. That wife said, God's called us to Haiti. And they went back. They developed Bible college. They not only influenced Haiti, but they influenced the Dominican Republic. And by the way, there was people that said, we're dropping your support because we think you're wrong. Isn't it amazing how someone else finds God's will for your life? <laughs> I think I mentioned friends in Guyana. And uh, some so uh, he went into Georgetown lived across the river and these bandits came to his house and they put screws in the wall tied it onto their truck put cables to the screws ripped the whole wall off his house stole everything it was a potential where bad things could have happened to his spouse his son inside that building you have to make a choice to go on I heard the knock on the door it's immigration they told us, you have 48 hours to leave the country. I said, why? We have a permit to be here. They said, they've canceled your permit. The people that were closest to us wrote letters and lied about us. 
They wanted the church because the church was their venue for money. Isn't it amazing God lets tests happen in your life just to see who you are? Man, I had the list and the reasons. I went to minister uh, the man in charge of immigration in our country, sat in his yard. We sat there, I'm sorry, in his yard, on, on his porch. We talked and I said, sir, this is what the threats have been. Recommend, what, what do you recommend I do? He started laughing. He said, <laughs> he started belly laughing. He said, Pastor, Pastor, this is we people. I said, this is we people. I said, what do you mean? <laughs> he said, he said, we local pastors, he said, they do this every week. They're kicking people out because they want. How much money does a man want? I said, I don't care. We don't serve God for money. He said, don't, serve it. don't study that. I'll take care of it. You know what God did? God used that problem as a platform to, for us to get residency. There's not even a law that says missionaries can get residency in our country. God took a problem and turned it into a blessing, but it became an issue of potential bitterness in my heart until I was able to thank God for a person who stabbed me in the back and betrayed me and tried to get me kicked down the country. Guess what? I said, God, thank you for letting him be in my life because he helped me become a different person. That's just the test. Love is our proof. Tonight, the proof will be in the pudding. How much you love God. You know, can, can I say this really quickly? I think every teenager can support a missionary. I think every, past, or every adult can support several missionaries. How much do you support missionaries a month? 200, 250 bucks a month. Everybody could do that. If you smile, it will improve your face value. <laughs> That's where we start. That's a starting point of a chance to prove our love. That's not extreme. That's just baby steps. I talked to a Christian not long ago. He says, well, Pastor, I tithe. I said, how long have you been saved? 25 years? I said, you just tithe? That, that's the smallest example of giving in the whole Bible. That's what, that's what you do when you're just a baby Christian. But as you grow, your free will offering increases. Because why? Your love for God and faith in God increases. Oh, I want to preach on giving right now. I just wanted, is it, can, can, I take a, can I take a time out? I know what time it is. I know what time it is. And uh, I'm ignoring the time. I'm well into overtime right now. I remember the first time I, I was involved in Faith Promise Missions. I committed five, I remember it's called Faith Promise. I committed $5, $5 a week. That was possibly the longest week of my life. Because... It's an embarrassment. I'm telling God I love you, and I give you less than what I spent on a coffee. I mean, can, can you imagine? If your husband gave you $5 a week and said, there you go, this is for you. You're going to say that depth of love is overwhelming. <laughs> you're crushing it, sugar. <laughs> no, you're not. You're like, let me use the back three fingers of my hand on your forehead. Next year, 
at 17 years old, I started supporting my own missionary. Went to $50 a week. Next year, went to $75 a week. Then $100 a week. $125 a week. $150. $175 a week. $200 a week. It kept going. I, I started a business. Everything that came in on Monday, we called it Monday Missions. We supported 20 missionaries just by what came in on Monday. You can smile. I'm just telling you, this is God. You, you, don't, you don't make a faith promise and then go stand by the mailbox waiting for money to come. You go find money. That's how you build a missions program. Start a business. Say, God, I'm going to partner with you. 50% of profit's yours. Watch God bless it. We had five agents, real estate agents in our church at one time. And they would look at, they'd find a deal and say, we're going to split this 50-50 with God. Or God's going to take 90, we're going to take 10. We just need to pay our bills. We want to see what God's going to do with that. You'll see God work. And then um, God called me to be a missionary. And I thought in my mind, well, uh, now I don't have to support missions again. <laughs> Holy Spirit, one slap. He left a mark on the back of my head. He called me by my first name, idiot. And uh, that was in 2001. Can I tell you, in 2001, our commitment went up. 2002, every year since then, it's gone up. A couple years ago, I made a, a, a commitment, and I thought it was bigger than, I mean, it, I thought I was stepping out by faith. But my problem was not my faith. My problem was my God was too small. I can't imagine the shame that, that God has sometimes when we say I'm stepping out by faith, and it really doesn't involve Him that much. And, and I remember seven days later, my phone rang, and someone said, we're selling this property. I said, how much do you want for it? And uh, they told me, I said, I'll take it. Bought the property, had a, had a, the day we closed on the property, I had a buyer that afternoon. Listen, I bought and sold one property. It paid my entire missions for the whole year in one deal. Say, so how'd that happen? I wish that happened to me. Why don't you step out where you are right now? That was, had nothing to do with me. That had to do with God. They called me. God's sending my phone number. You know how much fun it is to watch God work? I love to preach on giving for three reasons. Because I love to give, first of all. But number two, because other people who love to give get excited about it. They smile in church. They get happy. They get happy. Third reason I love to preach on giving is people who are stingy and mingy. I just love to watch them squirm. Can I tell you, can I tell you, num number two, it's proof of our love. Number three. It, see, isn't this relaxing? It's no pressure, is it? That's what a missions conference is. Just no pressure. Just relax and obey the Holy Spirit. And by the way, don't you compare yourself to someone else's giving. You can't live on someone else's faith. You pray, God will tell you, you what to do on your faith. I'm just telling God can handle any level of faith. You do what God wants you to do. But don't play games with God. This is a chance to prove our love. Number, number three. Number three. Love should be our passion. Revelation chapter number two. You know, this, you know this portion of scripture. Let me give it to you and I'll be done. Revelation chapter two. He's talking here to the church of Ephesus. And he tells them, as he describes them in verse number two of chapter two, he says, I know thy works, thy labor, thy patience, how thou canst not bear them which are evil, and hast tried them which say they are apostles, and are not, and found them to be liars. Isn't that wonderful? 
You could prove they were false apostles. He said, you're born and has patience for my name's sake. You've labored and have not fainted. That's a pretty good resume. These people haven't quit. He says, verse number four, nevertheless, or excuse me, or pardon me, but I have somewhat against thee. Why is that? Because thou hast left thy first love. It should be our passion. We shouldn't have to endure serving God. We should enjoy serving God. Can I, can I tell you something? The devil should not have a monopoly on enthusiasm. Church should be the greatest place to be in our life. I'm not going to get more excited on, on a football or baseball field or a basketball court than I get in God's house. Amen. I get excited about sports. But I tell you, I get more excited when a sinner walks down the aisle and gets saved. Or someone gets right with God. Or someone gets revival in their life. That's more exciting to me than all the home runs in the world. Amen. The people say in church, I don't know. Hey, partner, you probably can't find a blessing with a search warrant. But I'm here to tell you, I want to have more enthusiasm. The word enthusiasm comes from a Latin word that means God at work in you. You choose what you get excited about. I've had people tell me, well, pastor, listen, I don't really get excited about nothing. My daddy didn't get excited. His daddy didn't get excited. Grandpa didn't get excited. Well, we'll change. Because we all get excited about something. I have a friend named Chewy. And in Texas, one of the religions is called the Dallas Cowboys. And he went from Austin. He told me, he said, we went to the Dallas Cowboys game. I said, how was it? He says, it was incredible. He said, it was just, just, just over the top. He said, I can't wait to go back. I said, tell me about it. And he says, well, we left <coughs> um, early in the morning. We got there four hours early. He said, we were in the parking lot four hours early. And he says, we did some barbecue. We cooked up some barbecue. He said, we got to our seats an hour before the game started. He says, uh, we, we were right down on the 50 yard line. I said, how much were those tickets? He said, 400 bucks. He said, but that's nothing. Because he said, we were so close to the action, you could hear the bodies hitting each other. He said it was so much fun. And, uh, and then he says, I can't wait to go back. I says, no, hold on. Stay with me. You got there in your seat an hour early. You even brought food. You paid $400. You were down in the front row. And you said you can't wait to go back? He goes, that's right. I said, why are you sitting in the back row of the church? I said, hang on a minute, why are people getting here 30 minutes early just because sitting in the back row? You would think they'd be fighting for VIP. I don't like to be distracted. I like it when people are getting their lives changed through God. Amen, preacher. Love should be our passion. Paul said this. He said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 14. He says, the love... Of Christ constraineth me. Can I tell you, I had to learn a long, long time ago, I'm not going to stay in my country because the people love me. Because most don't. I'm going to stay in my country because I love God. 
there is not a, a week that goes by where there's not opposition, where people don't attack the work of God, where people don't attack me. For 20 years, my name has been White Boy. Hey, White Boy, come now, boy. You know what? I embrace opposition because I love God. This, you know what this is all about? That's what we're in. We're in a battle. We're in a fight. And I'll tell you what, if you think you're in anything else, you're going to live sorely disappointed. All disappointment comes from unfulfilled expectations. And when you're expecting anything outside of a battle, you're going to be disappointed. Why are we in the fight? Because we're in love with God and he has made us his soldiers. I've used the illustration before here. But I remember this young girl told the story about her and her baby dolly. And she loved her dolly so much she would play with it and she would take it for walks. And she'd feed it and she'd change its clothes. She had fun with her dolly but she went to her mother one day and she said, Mommy, she said, I love my dolly and I love my dolly and I love my dolly and I walk my dolly and I change my dolly's clothes and I feed my dolly and I hug my dolly. Mommy, I love my dolly. And I love my dolly, but my dolly never loves me back. Wouldn't it be a horrendous thing? Heavenly Father looked down and said, listen, I loved him so much that I gave him my son. But thanks be unto God for this unspeakable gift. I've blessed them. I've helped them. I've provided for them because I love them. And I love them. It's a very attribute. God is love. It's a very attribute of God. But when the test comes, they get out of church. When the test comes, they quit serving God. When the test comes, they don't love me back. Can I tell you? It's not a command. It's a chance. It's an opportunity to prove our love. When you got married, you were given some bonus days. Her birthday is a bonus day. Anniversary is a bonus day. Valentine's is a bonus day. Christmas is a bonus day. But can I tell you, when you sneak in on Monday, that's love. When you drop by on Tuesday, that's love. You know what God's looking for? Find the smile mile, and you'll find the person who's in love with God.